everybody, this is Wingman, and you are listening to Guard Frequency. My portside thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is Control, be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, citizens and civilians. You're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you're going to want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 15 and was recorded live on March 22nd and made available for download March 25th at guardfrequency.com. I'm Lennon. I'm Tony. And I'm Jeff. All right, Tony, what have we got this week? Well, on this week's Squawk Box, we take a look at a new twist on an old classic. In CIG News, we'll bring you up-to-the-minute coverage of everything happening around the UEE, featuring our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest in-universe fiction, and the eighth episode of The Next Great Starship. We let you choose the ship for this week's Nuggets for Nuggets segment, and you told us we want to know about The Retaliator. And then we'll bring you the next installment in our series of interviews from my trip to CIG Austin, this week featuring Rob Irving and John Erskine. Finally, we tune our dials into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. Sits and Sis are always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join the crew here at Guard Frequency. So if you've got a creative itch that needs scratching, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K at guardfrequency.com. Please remember that all positions here at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This is a labor of love, but we do look great on a CV or resume. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the school books. Any of you boys need a carrier out here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Verily, citizens and civilians, hearken unto me, and I shall spill into thine ear secrets of literary fashion from a time long ere past, and a star distant beyond measure. William Shakespeare's The Empire Striketh Back, being part the fifth of Star Wars, retells the best of George Lucas's tale entirely in iambic pentameter. We here at Guard Frequency, being aficionados of both theata and of Star Wars, thought it only appropriate to bring you a small sampling of the wonders within the covers of this marvelous tome. And I should feel at this point I should point out that as the man who played Darth Vader, David Prowse, is a Bristolian like me, I shall be honoring his theatrical performance by doing it in the native Bristolian accent. <clears throat> Please excuse me whilst I, I get into character here. <clears throat> A reading from The Empire Striketh Back, Act 5, Scene 3. Our hero, Luke the Skywalker, hath just been maimed most horribly by the blade of Lord Darth Vader, and foul words are to be exchanged twixt the twain. Spoilereth alerts. If thou knowest all the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan hath never told thee of what happened to thy father, Luke. Oh, he hath spoke as much, and he hath told me of the truth. Thou hast slain him, I, and without cause or mercy, murderer, most foul and wretched. No, I am thy father. Nay, tis not true, tis impossible. Pray, search thy feelings, Luke, thou knowest it is true. Nay! 
Luke, thou mayest the emperor destroy. He hath foreseen what thou wouldst do. It is thy destiny. Come, join with me. Together we shall rule the galaxy as son and father. Come now, Luke. It is the only way. The dark side is thy path. Oh, join with me, and we shall be as one. I fall, and yet no death upon me yet. I fall, for it is better path than hate. He falls, and welcomes death instead of power. He falls, but I consents. He liveth still. And... Scene. Brilliant, is, gentlemen. Absolutely brilliant. Work. That was. That was. Oh, oh. Is oh, is that a amazing. is that a Tony? I smell. It is a Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was good, guys. That was good. Thank so you. yeah, I saw this at uh, Barnes and Noble today. We were out there, and I, I had to grab it. This was it was just too good to pass up. The cover is a picture of Yoda with one of those Elizabethan neck ruffle things. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's just the artwork is brilliant. The the content, of course, uh, beyond reproach. Everyone should go pick that up. It's good stuff. So have you read, seen, or heard something that you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach. Check your screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our crowdfunding update for 22nd of March, 2014, $40,615,000. we have got our two final expansion systems still on our way to the next stretch goal. Not quite there yet, kids. 4,635 alpha slots are left. We've got right around 700. That's a little down from the usual count. And we're just shy of 413,000 registered users. Slowed down a little bit here, too. There's only 3,000 new users this week. Hmm... Everybody's on the sidelines till the new dogfighting module comes out. And as we haven't hit another stretch goal, there is no letter from the chairman. But this week we do get confirmation. From the RSI Ask a Dev forums, we're given confirmation that the Idris will be coming with a utility craft. The forum user Ekoba writes, Since the age of sail, large ships have carried workboats, whether a modern RHIB or an older longboat. These perform functions such as ferrying crew and cargo and are also used as lifeboats. What's the current thoughts on the UEE's workboat? And Squadron 42 designer P. Mello replies, We requested a utility ship for the Idris Corvette some weeks back, which will be rolled out for other ships of the fleet. The concept artist sat behind me is working on it right now. Looking good. So we don't have any further details on the specs of this craft, but we will keep you up to date as soon as we hear more about it. The winners of the recent PAX East Free Dogfighting Module Reveal Competition have been announced on the RSI website. So we'd like to offer our congratulations to the Oppression, Aquitas Interstellar Risk, I hope I said your name right, the Confederation of Free Traders, Cosmic Ventures, Loose Association of Mercenaries and Privateers, and XPLOR Self-Sufficient Deep Space Exploration. <laughs> what a freaking long name. Wow. Winners will get to attend a special pre-PAX East event and meet Chris Roberts. So congratulations once again for all the organizations heading to Boston. And we want to say a special shout out to uh, Ranger XML, friend of the show, friend of Priority One. Congratulations. And we are so, so jealous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it seems that a uh, week doesn't go by in which CIG don't bring us some new gorgeous concept art. And this week is no exception, as they let us feast our eyeballs on the work-in-progress concept art gallery of the updated Vandal Scythe. The redesign is certainly in line with the high quality that we've come to expect from CIG. But a few things do look a little bit out of place for a human pilot. For example, the ship will have to be piloted lying on your stomach. And given the placement of the controls, anyone looking to pilot a Scythe 
Scythe had better start working on their upper body strength and core muscles. And that's our first community question this week. What do you think of the seating arrangements in the Vanduul Scythe? Should they have maybe redecorated a little bit before they set it out to the public? Let us know your thoughts. Check out our show's forum post on the RSI fan site subforum or below our show notes on guardfrequency.com. Part 8 of Dateline Sesson has landed and brings us right back to the roots of the series with a high-speed, action-packed, intense entry. As former unofficial governor of Sesson, Tentapet Jones is reportedly assassinated, leaving Yadev to fight her way out of a very explosive situation the only way she can, with a set of body armor and an assault rifle lifted from her dead guard. If you've not had a chance to catch up with the Dateline Sesson series so far, then be sure to check it out over on the Robert Space Industries website. Links are in the show notes. March 18, 2157. A joyous day not only for two new parents-to-be, but also for humanity as a whole. Mars has been terraformed for years and humans are starting to settle in and truly live their lives. And it was on this day, Abini Okan, the first human to not be born on Earth, would make an appearance two months earlier than scheduled at that. Growing up in the spotlight was hard on Abini, and she quickly went off the rails in a way that Billy Ray Cyrus was all too familiar with. Hounded by the media, Beanie's fame crashed when she was leaving a launch party one night and was confronted by the usual press of fans outside. There were no drunken fights or baldos thrown, just an exchange of words, and then a beanie was gone. She did make one final appearance in 2232 at the age of 75. She was the guest of honor at the launching of the Artemis, and then passed away peacefully on 12th September 2252 at the age of 95. For more information on Abini, be sure to check out This Day in History over at the RSI website links, as always, are in the show notes. This week saw another episode of 10 for the Chairman, episode 12, so we thought we'd go through and pick out a few of our favorite bits to highlight here on the show. So, one question that Chris was asked was, will the NPCs be graded at all? Will there be different classes, different levels of NPCs? And will they be able to learn if they're in a cockpit along with the more professional human players? Will they be able to pick up traits and so forth? And Chris says, yes, yes, there will be different levels of NPC that you'll be able to hire. Some will have better skills than others, but naturally they'll come with a higher price. But there will also be some sort of progression whereby if you take a NPC on board and put them in, say, the gunner position and they happen to shoot down two enemy aircraft, then that NPC will level up slightly and they will be better at their job as a result. I thought this was really good because we discussed this here on the show about having different levels of NPC. So it's just great that CRG are thinking the exact same way that we are because I love the game that we're making. I love the game we're building too. Rob Irving basically said that yeah there'll be different careers there will be people that are better at some things than another and the idea that the more you use them for that thing and you survive fights the better they're going to be at that thing and we are also confronted with the benefits of ejecting why would you want to punch out and the answer comes to us well not all ships are going to let you eject or escape but you could still bail out the hatch and some of the benefits include, well, not dying, for one thing, and that's going to save your wear and tear on your body, as we discussed on one of our Nuggets for Nuggets segments, Death of a Spaceman. You can eventually wear out your body. Medical science will give up on you at some point uh, if you die too many times, and you'll have to pass on your equipment and your gear to your air. So the benefits are you don't die, and um, you don't die. Will we be able to design our own costumes for use in-game, kind of like how the next great starship lets us create starships? The response was, for inclusion in the persistent universe, it would need to be moderated to make sure that it's up to standards that CIG has set, much like the next great starship. 
one thing that I thought was really cool about this, and again, this is something that we've discussed before, about how the next great starship is effectively a trial content pipeline for getting stuff into the game, even though it will get moderated en route. Chris didn't say no to this question. He just said, if we were to do it, it would have to be moderated, which for me at least implies that they're considering it, even if there's no solid plans for it. And that is just good, good news. Chris was then asked, will wreckage from dogfights become a navigational hazard, or is it just going to simply evaporate in a massive explosion? And Chris replies that, yes, debris that gets scattered from a dead ship will become a navigational hazard. Unlike other games, it won't just disappear over time. So if your ship does explode in a massive fireball, a little bit of it may be consumed, but the vast majority of the metal panels and all the different parts will just be scattered throughout space in the local area. And another question on as far as mechanics in the game, Chris was asked, will you be able to use your inertia to move without burning fuel? And Chris replied, yep, you can change your orientation of velocity vector independently, allowing you to glide through the verse without burning fuel. Now, this is interesting because in most other games that have pseudo-Newtonian physics, they always put some friction model in so that your ship automatically slows down. I can name even three or four games that do this all the time. So this is kind of nice to see that they're going to reach max velocity and you turn off your engines and you just coast that velocity without burning up a lot of fuel. That's how it should be. And the chairman was asked, jump points at the edges of the system only? And Chris says, nope, they'll be all over the place, sometimes close to the sun, near asteroid fields, etc. Different types of jump points, some for big ships, some for small ships. Think of them like mountain passes. Okay, so I'm pretty sure this means mini jump points. Yeah, but that's what I took this to mean as well. Yeah, they've solved the time problem, and the time problem is, well, we're just going to jump everywhere. I'm curious as to find out how many jump points are going to be revealed upon the start of the game versus how many we get to find and so forth. Good question. That's a really good question. Because you'd have to have jump points between all the major tradable planets, right? Yeah, major sources of The destination planets. I would think so. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to have those. And you'd have to have jump points to worked asteroid belts, right? Like, you know, places where mines are already open and all that kind of stuff. And you would have to have, I think, some jump points that nobody really knew where they went, but they knew people knew they were there. No one's ever returned from it or something like that. I think there'd be a scattering of those. And then that would get people started off to make the attempt to navigate jump points, you know, to practice making perfect. The users then go on to ask Chris, will we be able to charge rent for our ships? Will we be able to hire them out to other players? And Chris responds with, well, probably, you can hire NPCs and players to fly your ships and your ships that you're not currently using, so it would make sense to have some sort of rent mechanic whereby you can lease your ships out to other players. And this is a question I moved to the end of the feedback because I want to get everyone's feedback on this, but what does alpha mean to CIG? And that's a really good question and one that I had some discussions with the team down in Austin, but Chris's answer is, you're definitely testing an unfinished game. But the main points are, and the real reason they're doing this is, one, they want feedback from users, and two, they want stress and bug testing. So we are testing a product that's not done. There are going to be warts on it. Those are to be expected. And they want everyone to point them out and give constructive criticism. That's part of the deal that we all signed up for when we chipped in our money. And I think that that's right. That's what I want to do. 
I want to have some say, even if it's just a tiny little bit of say, in the direction the game takes and what I think is a busted game mechanic. And I don't mind putting up with actual broken things in the process. See, I think on this, though, though, collectively, we've got the right attitude towards it. We know what we're getting into. We know it's a game that is in active development. We know it's going to be rough around the edges. But like Chris was saying in one of his videos, he's really conscious about letting people in because a lot of people that have signed up, even though it says alpha, they're expecting oh my God, yeah. a finished product. And when they get given the yeah. dogfighting module, they know it's obviously not the whole game, but they're expecting right. it to be the quality of the finished game. Yeah. And so they're going to be comments like, oh, yeah, well, I know it's placeholder art, and I know the sound effects aren't finalized, and I know that the textures are missing. And then they get into it and be like, you know what? Yeah. This game, it doesn't look good, man. What are you doing? And it doesn't sound yeah. good. This is what you did with the four months extra I gave you? Yeah. I was expecting this in December, and now it's April. And what? Uh, this is all you did? Oh, I will have very little patience for those well, people. Yeah. This is a year and a half before a perfectionist like Chris Roberts would ever let anybody see this thing. He has said repeatedly, I wouldn't even show a real publisher this. These are people that would have given me 20 million bucks and I wouldn't let them see this. Take it from the old guy who's been in the technology industry for a long time and I've alpha tested and beta tested hundreds of pieces of software. Alpha is where you do a lot of bug squashing. You turn it on and it doesn't explode right. in your face. That's um, alpha. Beta is more like, okay, we fixed most of the bugs and we've added more polish and now what's broken? Alpha is really mm. just, okay, bug here, ooh, step on it. Bug there, ooh, step on it. And I think that the people that listen to this podcast, in my opinion, and just, you know, is a bit of ego inflation for all of our listeners, but they're listening to a podcast about a game that is nowhere even close to released. So these aren't just the people that want to give money and want to read a bit on the forums. They want to go just that extra little bit further. So I have great faith that our listeners will be of the sensible sort who know that this is an alpha, yeah. that they know they're here to help out. And unfortunately, as, as great as this show is, we're not actually at the, what is it, 4 million subscriber level or whatever yeah, the game no, is currently we're, we're a little shy of that. Yeah. yeah, a little bit shy. And it's the other set of users that I worry about their expectations. I don't think that this is anything that Chris hasn't done to manage expectations. I just think that people are going to have their own set expectations, listen to the words that are coming yeah. out of Chris's mouth, and then just completely ignore them. But yeah. hey, like we said in our prediction episode, this is probably going to be a, a testing year for the Star Citizen backers. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to turn this question over to you guys. What are you expecting to see from the Alpha? Are you expecting a polished little gem that you can enjoy just a little slice of the Star Citizen verse? Or are you just hoping the thing doesn't explode when you turn it on? Leave us a comment on our show post on GuardFrequency.com or in our show thread on the Robert Space Industry fan site subforum. Episode 61 of Wingman's Hangar takes us behind the scenes into the motion cap studio and shows us the first test of the motion capture that will form the skeleton of the humanoid movement in Star Citizen and Squadron 42. And once again, I feel like I really want to just release everything I got all at once because, spoiler alert everyone, the Brian Brewer interview with Wingman, that's a good chunk of my interview with him at uh, CIG. So either I was practiced for that or Wingman's Hangar was practiced for my interview with him. One of the Clearly two. Wingman's Hangar was practiced for us. I probably. Brian was much more comfortable with me, you know, so it was a smooth, it was a relaxed atmosphere, you know, some light jazz playing in the background, cigars, whiskey, you know. Additionally, we get given some insights from forum feedback. The female avatar is progressing nicely, with the spacesuit currently being developed for the model. 
Autopilot will go via waypoints or nav points. It can create its own nav points eventually. Thank you, Kythera. And while the distance to engage the autopilot is still being determined, you will have to be out of combat to activate it. Also, NPCs are going to have their own goals and aims and will select the best equipment to do their jobs. This may mean they end up following trends set by the players. So equipment availability and the right tool for the right job are going to be criteria that the AI will be using. Mass of cargo, ammo, etc. will affect the handling of your ship. Yay! More physics. More good physics there. If it's physics, Chris Roberts cares about it. The Bengal Carrier is getting a very significant refit for Squadron 42 in line with the refit scene to the Hornet and the Scythe. So basically, I think they're just going to reshoot that trailer. Also, the capital ship system will be unveiled on the Idris. And there are currently two game maps in the dogfighting module right now planned for release. But there's a bunch of different modes that you can play on those maps. For example, Last Man Standing. We may get a capture of the flag on there too, but that is still in development. And in this week's episode of The Next Great Starships, well, now that Stage 1 is out of the way, there's not really too much to discuss. Sort of. Kind of. Well, just to give you a brief recap on what happened in this episode, we were reintroduced to the teams that made it through the competition so far, and we get to see some of the first glances at their updated concept art after taking on board the judges' feedback. We also discover the teams that were put back into the competition thanks to the community voting for them in the save, and the teams that were chosen to be saved were Three Dingo and Taloncorp. The voting very much seemed to reflect our opinions here on the show, with the majority, that is, Tony and Jeff, voting for Three Dingo, whilst the rest of the community, i.e. me, voting for Taloncorp. We also get to see the progress of the Mustang from Consolidated Outland and how far that has come since we last saw it. And, well, nothing major in there, but hey, could see progress nonetheless. And then, of course, no episode of The Next Great Starship would be complete without a bit of controversy. And this episode generated quite a bit of hubbub on the forums and beyond. And so in this week's episode, we were also introduced to the community ambassador for The Next Great Starship, Dan Geesling. And this is where I step back from the mic, Tony. As you might expect, I have some thoughts. Let's start off with one point here. This is not about Dan Geesling. This is about a strategic train wreck in progress. Let's get into the heads of CIG management, the train engineer, if you will, for a minute. Chris Roberts is the executive producer of The Next Great Starship. A gentleman by the name of Chris Roach is the other executive producer of The Next Great Starship. Chris Roberts' resume should be familiar to most of us. Mr. Roach cut his teeth on High Maintenance 90210 and WWE Raw and Tila Tequila, A Shot at Love and Big Brother. This is a solid reality TV background. As a standalone decision to hire him for The Next Great Starship, that's fine. Reality TV is popular. A lot of The Next Great Starship is kind of contesty. The segment beats that you need for the shows are pretty much the same in both productions. This is all working out to be a pretty good decision. The behind-camera decision-making and procedure is probably pretty close to identical. It has worked to this point. The train wreck, as I see it, is the creeping of this aesthetic and mindset to the front of the camera. Again, if we're going the reality TV direction, one could do worse than Mr. Geesling. He wrote a book called How to Get on Reality TV, How a Normal Guy Got Cast on Reality TV. I haven't read it, but I bet the critical passage is something like, Know the guy that got hired to run the show. He heard about the game and immediately backed. Well, you know, a lot of people did this, myself included. He published a Wing Commander playthrough on YouTube. 
Granted, it was published two days before the next great Starship debut, um, but let's not make too many assumptions. The derailment, if you will, that we are watching is not the Ryan Seacristiness of the host. The collision is between the winner-take-all cutthroat atmosphere required for a good reality TV and the collaborative community required to build a good pipeline for future user-generated content production. If we are going that route, it makes it more likely for potential contributors to see other potential contributors as threats, not partners. That's a little Eve-esque for me, and the persistent universe hasn't even fired up yet. As does definitely the wrong message to send to a bunch of artists and modelers and writers and other creatives who want to make things for the game for free. I understand they've got a bit of a Brewster's Millions problem here. They have to spend it or allocate it or account for it this year to avoid being murdered by taxes. $40 million is a lot to go through. And you know, even if they only have to account for the 2014 stuff, that's still millions they have to spend. Mr. Giesling stressed that he was not, quote, directly working for Chris Roberts. Well, what that means to me is that they hired a consultant who conveniently happens to know, or actually be, a former producer for the show, Mr. Giesling 1, Big Brother, and that consultant hired Mr. Giesling. So the PR company advises CIG on how to message, CIG approves it, and they have Mr. Giesling send the message. I understand it, but I don't like it. Chris Roberts is no dummy. Mr. Giesling is going to be an essential component of the release of any future news tidbits we're going to see on the next great starship. In a truly Pavlovian manner, we're going to be conditioned to equate that winning smile and great hair with new Star Citizen data. We will come to love him and cherish him and call him one of us for that reason alone. I get it. I know it's coming, but I just don't like it. Eric Peterson told me one of the advantages of being small is the ability to pivot, to be agile. Unlike most train wrecks, CIG is not locked onto any rails. They can swerve and avoid the worst of the consequences of this error. The sooner, the better. This guy is a salesman, and all he's doing is selling himself. More power to him, but I don't think it belongs here. For whatever reason they decided to do this, I think it was unnecessary and unneeded. And that is my two cents. Yeah, I'm pretty much with you guys on this. I was giving it a lot of thought, and I actually watched The Next Great Starship a couple of times over because to begin with, I thought maybe I'm just being pretty judgmental about the guy. Maybe there's something that I don't like personally, but maybe it's going to be a good thing. So I watched it again and listened to the interviews and all that sort of thing. And it's come down to a couple of things for me. I mean, I don't know if this is just a bit of a culture difference here, but when I was listening to it, I noticed it sounded what I can best describe as it sounds too American. Everything that he was doing, the interviews, the way he was jazzing up the next sections, it sounded more like I was listening to an episode of Storage Wars than I was The Next Great Starship. I mean, I know The Next Great Starship has background music. Most productions do. Heck, this one, you know, we've got the dull engine tone just going in the background there. It just breaks up the audio a little bit, gives the listener something to distract them so they're not feeling overwhelmed. But the overlay of the music, the volume was too loud. It was right up in there, and it just didn't feel like it fitted with anything else that next great starship has done additionally i then couldn't particularly see the point of bringing him in i don't think he adds any additional dynamic because we had sandy who you know she was a host yeah she might not be like you know the most charismatic the most energetic or anything of that nature but i don't think she was doing a bad job and she was doing I, fine yeah exactly and i don't see what role he is I, actually going to maybe, play maybe you know some some people point out she, she's busy she's a busy person right she's supposed to be in charge of marketing the whole thing yeah and i get that maybe she needs some additional help because there's only so many hours in the day that's fine i would say keep her in front of the camera and hire her somebody to help her with the marketing yeah because she's a face and a voice and totally she's 
let me put it this way. She's a very talented person. She's made tons of good marketing decisions thus far, as far as I'm concerned. But she had me on the last episode of, I think it was Wingman's Hangar, when they did the damage states. She just popped out, so I get points for making you bleed. Yeah. And I'm just like, she's one of us. Absolutely. Like, she's interested in the game mode, the game mechanic, the game. She's one of us. This guy, not so sure. Yeah. And fair play to him if he is a fan, if he is a backer, that's all great. It's just in his presentation, in his manner, there's nothing that he adds to the show. And yeah, I will wait and see the second episode. Maybe the way he was introduced was just possibly a bit bad, you know. Maybe in the next episode, maybe his dynamic will be a bit better. Maybe he'll find his place. Maybe he'll find his niche. That's my thoughts on it. So, hey, Lennon. Yes. What's the question? The question. The question. I've got a question. What's your question? Where the f*** is the dogfighting module? I still don't know. Yeah, it's coming, apparently. Well, this is our section of the show where we like to tell you what we've been doing to pass the time whilst waiting for the dogfighting module to appear. Normally I kick this one off, but I'm not going to today because that's my prerogative because this is my section. So, Tony, what have you been up to? I have not done a lot of gaming recently because I've been still chewing through all, all of our episodes. That's However, great, Jeff. I... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, Karen. <laughs> However, I've set myself up with a music program that the name has escaped me at this point, but that and also um, a bunch of other games like Real Steel. Have you guys seen that movie? Boxing oh, yeah, Robots? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's got a game based on that and, uh, you know, just basically exploring the free-to-play uh, Android world and you know, lots of good stuff out there. Fantastic. Jeff, what have you been up to? Uh, same old stuff, Titanfall. I'm still enamored with it. Oh, same old, yeah. same old. Brand newest thing. And uh, uh, some Star so is, Wars. Is it still yeah, awesome? Yeah, it's still awesome. It's very awesome. What about you, Lennon? What have you been up to? Well, mainly, I've actually been playing a lot of Guild Wars 2. I think I must have done what Jeff did and just went back through my back catalogue of MMOs and found it and hadn't really played it all that much. And it's quite a fun game. So, yeah, if anybody's out there and they're bored and they're looking for somebody to run Fractals, just give me a shout. So that's what I've been up to. So, um nobody's really been doing anything a whole lot interesting this week but that's just proof that we need the dogfighting module yes we do exactly well with the latest news from cig done let's go and hear everything we know about the retaliator in this week's nuggets for nuggets you have all flown before but you're about to enter a whole new world so pay attention that means get on your feet nuggets Hello, citizen civilians, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets. This is our section of the show where we like to delve into the mechanics of Star Citizen and give you everything that we know from the inside out. Fair warning, though, this game is very much still in active development, so all the information given will be subject to change. As this show isn't just a one-way discussion, we asked you what ships you'd like to know everything about, and the winner, by a long margin, this week was The Retaliator. The Retaliator is the UEE's premier jump-capable heavy bomber a specialist at running long-range strike missions, and is a very familiar sight to those who live on the fringes of explored space. 50 meters long and apparently growing, and 12 meters high, the Retaliator is similar in size to the Constellation, but much, much heftier. 14,000 kilos more to be precise, leading the Retaliator to weigh in at a total of 89 metric tonnes. Outfitted with five times TR-5 engines and eight times TR-2 thrusters, she is not going to be turning quickly or elegantly, but she will be able to keep pace with the best of them. And having a shield with a max shield rating of six, she'll be able to take a few hits before having to head home. The shield rating of six, what's that in metric? A uh, shield rating of six in metric, so you've got to divide by two, carry the fruit. It works out at raisin. 
Razor gun. Yes. Capable of being manned by six crewmen versus the four on this constellation, but with a lot less cargo space and upgrade capacity, we're looking at a max of 30 metric tons of cargo and just a tiny six upgrade points compared to the constellation's 20. Unlike the constellation that could be moulded to fit almost any role and playstyle, the Retaliator is a ship with a single purpose, and that single purpose? Bring the hurt to the enemy. And what a world of hurt they'll be getting. Although the Retaliator doesn't feature any fixed point guns, it does have five Class 5 turrets, manned turrets. But the piece de resistance is 12 Class 3 launchers, better known as missile pods. To put this in perspective, the Constellation and Gladiator both have six Class 3 launchers. And that's the maximum we've seen on any ship so far. You are literally getting double the amount of missiles. Unfortunately... That's pretty much the limits of what we know about the Retaliator. We've seen limited concept art and not too much on the way of specs. I've seen some forum threads out there that says that the ship's getting some rework and some growth, but we'll know more later on. We know that it will come equipped with a jump drive, but what make and model have yet to be announced, along with pretty much everything else. We will have to revisit this ship in a future Nuggets for Nuggets. I am very interested to see the missile mechanics. In some games, you sort of treat missiles as almost like, you know, you throw them out there like candy, right? Mm -hmm. But we know that this is going to be a game that has a serious economy built into it. And every time you fire one of those missiles, it's going to cost you money. And the sheer volume of metal you can throw at a target from the Retaliator makes this an expensive ship to fly if that's going to be your primary weapon. And then what kind of efficiency you're going to get out of that shot? Is it a guaranteed hit or is it going to be spoofed easily? The missile mechanics are also have yet to be worked out, but that's going to play heavily into whether or not you decide to fly one of these ships or not. Yeah, I get the feeling that these ships can either be completely and utterly devastating or just like zero effect. But again, if it's a direct hit, if it's a guaranteed hit, then that's going to cause some massive devastation. I can't see missiles just being able to hit their targets permanently because we know that there are going to be countermeasures and counter-countermeasures and so on, which we covered in episode 007. I think it's one of these that's going to be like trying to shoot off your own foot but using a nuclear missile. You're either going to not be able to do it or succeed so incredibly well that everything is just going to collapse around you. Okay, I'm not a big gunship fan. I'm more of the escort guy, but this looks like it would be fun to pilot. I have to agree with you on the expense of it, though. It'd have to be either a well-thought-out campaign where you know you're getting a certain Mm. amount of money for flying this ship, or you have to be incredibly wealthy to fire this puppy around. Yeah, yeah. I like the Connie because it is more of an all-around jack-of-all-trades. If missiles turn out to be expensive and or ineffective, I got my guns to fall back on. But if the missile mechanic is sort of well laid out and like you said you can predict the kind of payoff you're going to be able to get from a particular mission could make a lot of sense and could make a lot of people pretty afraid if one of these jumps in armed with the equivalent of air-to-air missiles if it can fire off a volley of these things and send everybody running for cover might be handy to have one lying around yeah because that's the other thing obviously the other ships are going to be able to fire off two to six missiles in one go this thing by the look of it it comes equipped with 12 class 3 launchers they'll be able to theoretically fire 12 missiles in one go so maybe you have enough countermeasures to distract up to four of those missiles that's still eight 
that are going to be coming for you. So yeah, I think that these are going to have that reputation of if you see one, you take it out as quickly as possible, or you get the hell out of there before they can get a lock on you, because these are the big guns. See, I love the game we're building. I love the game we're building. It is going to be fantastic, I can tell you that. There's this group called uh, Cloud Imperium Games. I hear they're making a space sim. They should probably start paying mm. attention to our ideas, really. Cause I think so, really. I think, I think we are the future, without a doubt. Well, <laughs> that's, that's everything that we know about the Retaliator. We'd like to hear your thoughts on the Retaliator. What do you think about the number of missiles available? Do you think it needs a bit more guns? And also, what are your hopes for the redesign? Let us know just by commenting below this post on the Guardfring Sea website or on the Rob Space Industries fan sites subforum. And now let's get to the highlights of our show. Tony's interviews from CIG Austin with John Erskine and Rob Irving. Authenticate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cipher, a cipher wrapped in an enigma, smothered in secret sauce. Welcome to Guard Frequency. I've got John Erskine, Director of Studio Operations here at uh, CIG Austin. Thanks for joining us today. You bet. Well, I've got a few questions for you about the about the backbones mm-hmm. of, of the system. Now, now, the studio operations includes the website. That's right. Yeah. So uh, uh, the things like the organizations and uh, your subscriptions and billing and all of that kind of stuff kind of fall under your... Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, um, tell us about getting the organizations rolled out and what, what we're going to expect in the next little while for, for the orgs. Well, you know, the process of launching version one of the organization system really started um, almost a year ago when we started, you know, talking about our vision for this system. And we started the design work in earnest last summer, and we started writing code in earnest in September, and launched the first version of the system to the public in January. And the system that you see on the web is built, it's engineered in a way that this is the core system that will drive all uh, all of your organization on the web, in the game, maybe to your mobile device, do you know wherever that system is utilized, the piece that we've engineered that you see on the web today, the backend that's driving that, it's that it's that backend system. So it was a big engineering effort to build that and get it live. Now that it's live, we're starting to add more features to that system. And so we have uh, the next version, which we've actually started calling 1.5 will allow you to join more than one organization at a time. So we're just calling it multi-org membership. I'm not sure how much of that design plan we've revealed in detail, but we have some really interesting thoughts about how that will work so that you have one organization that's your master organization, and then if you join additional organizations, there's a distinction between those sort of affiliate relationships in the one true master organization that you have. And then we're also simultaneously working on version two or drop two of the organization system, which will add some additional functionality like org charts and jobs and roles and some other stuff that we've already promised and sort of talked about last fall. Well, and you talk about jobs and roles. Are these, uh, is this something that gives people, I don't know, incentives or bonuses to do something, or are those like permissions and restrictions to prevent them from accessing certain components of the system? No, you know, it's more about giving the organization leaders the ability to um, design the structure of their organization. Um, you can have, uh, you know, essentially there's like 
divisions and ranks and jobs and roles means that you can sort of do different things in, in, the, in the organization and, and uh, then it's up to the organization leadership to define you know, how they want to structure things. Like do you want to have some people that are focused on you know, trading or do you want to have some people that are you know, in the West Coast division so they're sort of grouped by time zone and there's a lot of different options, you know, but the, our goal is really to provide the building blocks and then let the organizations themselves decide how to use those to kind of create this sort of structure and experience that they want for their organization. You know, part of the metagame of any multiplayer game is, is sort of the, uh, the, the backstabbing and the, and the clawing of the, the power structure and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then the flip side of that, of course, is... Uh, you know, you don't become a part of an organization unless you think that you're going to get a fair shake. Right. Is there going to be, are there systems or plans in place to, to address that balance or is it every man for himself out there? Well, we certainly believe that there's some value to both sides of that. Like some of that drama is what fuels some of the fun, you know, in the sense that if everything is too sterile, then maybe there's not as much excitement. But at the same token, uh, you know, I think there's kind of good examples of that and bad examples of that. So we'd like to avoid some of those bad examples. Um, our goal is to get, you know, once again, is to give the leaders of the organization as, you know, as many tools as we can to manage their organization. And then it's really up to the organization leadership to determine that. So in your to your question, when I think about it, what I would like to think is how much do I trust my organization leader? Not necessarily how much do I trust the system? Right. You know, and so we want to give the organization leaders tools to manage their groups and to do that as they see fit. But it's possible that they could be a bad leader or that they're not trustworthy. Or, you know, that's not something we can control. We can't control what people necessarily do with the system, but we want to put as many blocks, building blocks in place for people to have a good time. How, how, how granular are you going to make that? You know, is it going to be <coughs> six pages of checkboxes about what exactly what authorities people will have in the system? Is it going to be sort of broad categories like, well, if your job is a trader, then you have access to all the economy stuff. If your job is a recruiter, then you have access to all the fleet ranking systems. Mm -hmm. Or is it going to be really, you know, detailed? Well, you know, I, I don't have answers to all of those questions today. And part of the strategy that we're using to answer those questions is to implement uh, implement these systems in a modular fashion. Some of those things make sense only in the game world. Some of those things only would make sense in a certain type of game environment. Like some things might only make sense in the FPS module but don't make any sense on the web, right? Or vice versa. So what we're doing today is we're, we're approaching the things that we know we need on the web. And as we add those pieces, it gives us better visibility of what to do next. So the way that we operate internally, we have kind of a short, medium, and a long-term roadmap. And as you can imagine, our short-term roadmap is is very detailed. Like we know exactly what it is that we want to build in the next three months, and we're working on it right now. In the midterm roadmap, we have a good idea of what that looks like. Like I said, we're working on version 1.5 and 2.0 concurrently today. 
we understand in our mind, and, and those things, we know exactly what they are. For maybe 2.5 or 3.0, we have a really good idea of what those are, but internally, we'll kind of still, as we get closer to it, we'll kind of negotiate and say, well, you know, we thought this was going to be cool, but now that we've seen people using 1.5 in practice, there's something that we didn't think of that we think is more important, and we're going to put that in there, you know. So that midterm is like we we think we know, but there's always things that emerge that we decide to add. So there's still a fair bit of negotiation that goes on there. And then I think your question is more about the long-term vision. And so like we have a lot of ideas about what we want to do, but it's not, I mean, I wish I could tell you that it was crystal clear. Like we know exactly what we're going to do a year from now, but there's so much that's going to come up that, you know, we're looking for feedback from the community to see, do you like that? Do you not like that? You know, what do you think about this? And we can get that by putting out pieces and seeing how people utilize it and respond to it. So the the amount of control, the granularity of control, is something that will be developed over time as you give people little pieces <coughs> of control throughout the next yeah. two, three, four versions. Yeah. So you know, for right now, for example, I can define five ranks, and if people are only using three of them, <coughs> you don't need to have sub-ranks within those things, or you don't need to break out uh, those jobs that people aren't using. That's a good example. Like we talked about, even in, in the designs that are live today, you know, we had long discussions about, you know, well, how many do you think is the right number? And we came to this belief. So we put it out there and our feeling is that it's about right. You know, some people say that they wish they had more not a lot of people are saying that they can't get done what they want to do with what they have. So feels like it's about right. And then, uh, you know, part of, part of what we uh, pay a lot of attention to on the design side is making sure that there aren't too many options or that it's not too granular because then it can be off-putting. So uh, uh, a general concept that, that I like is to say, you know, let's launch with the things that we know, and then let's continue to add levels of, of depth to that as we go into the future. And maybe there's like a uh, kind of like a basic level, and then there's sort of advanced options for people that want them. Because some people want super granular, control everything, and I mean, to the degree that it's possible for us to do it, I think it's cool, but I don't want to force that onto people that don't want that degree of granularity. Um, and the web is just the beginning, right? This is going to translate to the end of the game, mobile devices maybe sometime in the future. Um, what are the pieces that uh, that are in the game that uh, some of the things that you're going to take out and maybe put on the web, some of the things are going to be shared? Do you have any idea what those might be yet? Some of the stuff that definitely is going to live on all three? <coughs> like I said, some of them are only going to make sense um, in the first person's Well, you know, some things like recruiting, for instance, or, or management of your organization, I think that should be surfaced everywhere. Um, you know, there's a, there are a lot of elements of the game that uh, that I can't answer because I'm not responsible for right. that. But like I said, the, the way that we've built the system is that from a technology standpoint, everything that you see is is potentially available in any place. It's a matter of what makes sense to do in which places and what that design team wants to use in that in that situation. So. Um, you know, some of the stuff like, uh, 
you know, chat is another major system and major technology that we built and launched concurrently with the first drop of organizations. And that's built with the same concept in mind is that that chat system, you know, the back end that's driving that chat system is designed to be the global chat service for all of the modules and all the systems everywhere. And so uh, it ties in with the organization system. It could tie, it will tie in with the game world. It could tie in with a mobile app. It could do all that sort of stuff. So like that's one of those things where uh, chat's gonna live everywhere. We know the organization system is gonna live everywhere. I don't know exactly which granular features of the system would exist in every place, but I think there's certainly uh, concepts that make sense to everywhere. The store has a few items in it right now, mm -hmm. and you can buy some things with your with your credits and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Are there additional things in the store coming pretty soon, or is that something we're going to wait until after dogfighting, or is that... We're actually working today on a major revamp of the store interface. It's going to be a complete look and feel upgrade for the store, and uh, not just to make it prettier, but to really add significantly more immersiveness to the store and functionality to the store. Make it easier to find things. You'll be able to get a lot more information about the ships, all their specs. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff I can't talk about yet necessarily, but uh, we're planning to launch that uh, this spring. And so that is going to be a major uh, upgrade to the store experience. And our goal is to make everything uh, as seamless and as immersive as possible. Um, we really don't view a big, uh, a huge distinction between the experience that we want people to have on the web versus the quality of the experience that they'd have in other in, in places in the game or the dogfight module or whatever. So, you know, we're adding a, a lot of new items that are dogfight specific will be added into Voyager Direct. Uh, we'll be adding um, some new, uh, a lot of new ways to interact with the, the pledge store and, and some of the items that are in the store, a lot of different ways to visualize ships and different things that, that aren't on the web today. And then as uh, time goes by, we'll always be adding more ships and more variants of the existing ships and stuff like that. Um, so uh, the items that we will see in the future will be pretty dogfight specific, you know, maybe some fish for the hangar or stuff like that. And do you, as we get closer, as more modules are released, you plan on populating the store with items for that. Yeah, sure. That, that's mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the, the long-term vision of the, that is of, the, of the store. Yeah. So, you know, by game launch, whenever that happens to be, you'll have been adding to the store constantly and have a, a full boutique of stuff by, yeah. the time, mm -hmm. by the time it gets out. Yeah, and you know, Chris has talked a lot about this. There's, you know, there are some things that uh, you could only get in the game. Our goal is that the things that are available in the store are things that are readily available in the game world, but you know, if you want them now, you can get them now, or maybe you can get them more easily by getting them in the store, or different things like that. But uh, we'll definitely have, you know, continue, our plan is to just continue to add more and more stuff, you know, that's cool and that's relevant. And then, you know, as, as different modules of the game come online, then they'll bring you know additional stuff of their own as well that's probably not available in the store at all. So, and as you continue to add these things in, like you said, you can buy them from the store now or earn them in the game. 
will the purchases we make today carry through to the persistent universe? Is that that's, that, the, that's, yeah, the, that's idea. the idea? Okay. So if I have all this stuff, if I buy a, a couple extra sets of guns for my ship in the dogfighting module in 2014, when the persistent universe launches in 2015-ish, um, that stuff will be mounted and ready to go. That's that's the goal. Now, there's a caveat to that, which is that you know I don't I personally don't know how much plan there is to guarantee that something that you use in the dogfight would be exactly the same thing that you have in the persistent universe. Right. There may be some differences from module to module, but in general, what you're saying is is our definitely our intention. Right. The the, the damage amount might be balanced later on, or it may fire a different type of projectile because this kind of thing just doesn't work. Yeah. But the, the the idea is that if you purchase it today, it's not like going to be melted and refunded to you at some other point you're going to have that's not the goal at all okay that's not the goal right. yeah right. yeah and you know the the design team is working feverishly to uh you know equip all the ships and balance all the items that fit on the sh different hard points and you know thrusters and stuff and so uh the goal you know one goal with the dogfight module is, is to be able to test out all all of these uh items and their stats and balance and then make sure that that when it comes time for them to be available in the persistent universe that they are balanced and that we do understand you know what the implications are of you know allowing a more powerful thruster on this ship versus a more powerful gun on that ship and, and so you know we don't want there to be any big surprises you know there have been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of headlines recently you know target for example people have gotten busted into their databases and hacked and stolen mm -hmm. this company has raised a lot of money and your explicit target audience are people that have maybe a little extra money but not a lot of time to play and you want them to to, to chip in that way so you know they're, they're, people are relatively well off i mean these would be really great targets for a scam. Don't get any ideas, bad people. <laughs> and one thing I noticed when I logged in for the very first time is that you guys have extremely rigorous password uh, mm -hmm. requirements on that. That's just the service. That's just what I see. Are, what other kinds of things are you guys doing behind the scenes to keep all this stuff locked up? You know, there's a lot of stuff that we do. Uh, a lot of the <clears throat> the basic stuff, like, for instance, we, we require you to have a an actual username and not just your email address. Uh, we do, you know, enforce some, you know, it's not as rigorous as it could be, but it's a pretty strict password thing so that people put in a real password. You know, it's, if you look at some of the sites that have gotten hacked and they, you, people decrypt their databases and you look at the passwords that people actually use, it's like 40% of them are password. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. <clears throat> so we're trying to protect people from themselves in that respect without without being overbearing you know but to just be as as uh, follow best practices as much as we can um, there's a lot of stuff about the the way that we encrypt the data and we move stuff around that's that's secure uh, the way that the site is designed is very secure because we have things in different silos that you know don't talk to each other so you can't break into the message forums and then get access to the player database because those things are completely separated on the back end. Um, you know, we also have made a number of conscious choices like we don't store any of your billing information in our system. So we don't have a database of credit card numbers for somebody to steal. Um, we work with payment processors who manage that, all, this, all the 
traffic goes directly into their systems and doesn't even transit through our networks. And so um, that's a little bit of a trade-off for us in favor of security because, for instance, what it means is that uh, if you want to make a purchase, you have to put in your credit card number. We don't store that. You can't just do a one-click purchase and, right. and transaction. Um, we do uh, recurring uh, subscriptions for people that want that, uh, and that's all stored at the payment processor. So PayPal is the one that stores that information. It doesn't live in our system. Um, and then, you know, there's a fair bit of stuff that we're uh, working on that we'll add as, as it makes more sense in the future to protect uh, your account in more detail, like uh, things like two-factor authentication, and uh, you know, we're we're working on a on a first version of that now that's uh, akin to the way that Steam does tracking, where sure. you have to, uh, if you log in from an unfamiliar device, they send you an email and you click the link and stuff like that. So we have a system like that that's in development now that we'll deploy soon. Um, not next week, but you know, it's, yeah. we're we're working on it. Right? Soonish, <clears throat> yeah. Because part of part of the trick with those kinds of things is you want it to be secure, but you don't want to lock people out of their own accounts too. Right. So you have to. I mean, that's kind of how we operate in the design sense. It's like, okay, we have this thing we want to do. We can look at what other people are doing out there, um, see what pieces of that we think you know we like and what we don't like. Build our own system put it into practice and find, oh, well, gosh, we didn't think about the case where somebody loses their cell phone and now they're locked out of their own account. You know, so we're accounting for those kinds of things. But that's coming. You know, there's a lot more now um, two-factor off with apps. You know, Google sure. has an app and different things. So yep. we'll definitely do all of that stuff. It's just that, you know, we don't necessarily need all of that stuff today. Um, and the other major thing is that we log everything. So even if somebody did, you know, get into your account and, you know, I don't know, uh, reclaimed all your ships and gifted it to somebody else or whatever, we've got every bit of that information. We can recreate exactly what happened. We can tell who did it, you know, if they're already tied into our system. We can reverse all of those actions so that we put you back into the state that you were before. So. Um, if, if in the case that something does happen, we can fix it. Okay. Well, this is where I open it up to you. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you're just dying to get off your chest? Is there just <laughs> burning, burning a hole in your pocket that you got to get out? No, I mean, you know, we're working on lots and lots of cool stuff. There's a lot of cool stuff that we're working on that I can't talk about publicly yet. So this isn't the right forum to get that off my chest. But <laughs> <clears throat> it is exciting, you know, that we're... Uh, from from the, the platform and operation side, which usually isn't uh, necessarily uh, something that people think about first, you know, we've had the chance to really do some really, really cool stuff on the web that will then become the basis for how some of this stuff will, will interact with it, you know, how you'll interact with some of this stuff for years to come. And so that's really exciting. That's pretty cool. Cool. All right. Well, appreciate you stopping by, John. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks All a right. lot. All right, folks, I'm joined by Rob Irving, lead designer on Star Citizen. Thanks for uh, taking some time out with us here. There's a camera over here. There's yeah, a camera over there. there. And uh, we'll just we'll just pretend like they're I not camera here. people, yes. But, we'll, yeah, know, we're going to see us. Yeah, we're just me. We're just hanging. Just casual, just, chilling. just hanging out. So I'm going to get my questions here. So let's start off with uh, one of the little ball ones. Can my helmsman be transplanted to my security officer and then be acting as a boarding party simultaneously as he's manning the turret? What? 
Well, don't answer that right now. I understand it's still in development, but huh? I want you to think about that. I want to be able to do that. Can, yeah. So if you That's, could do okay, that okay, was great. Very complicated. <laughs> but well, maybe maybe we'll skip onto some of the more, more general ones. Then. Let's just go right into the deep. Yeah, end. Yeah, right into the deep end first. Um, from the very beginning, you guys have tried not to call this an MMO. You've tried really hard, and you've made you've done a good job. I don't know that we've tried not to call it an MMO so much as just we've tried not to get it labeled as the typical MMO. The problem is when you, when you say MMO, people think one thing. Pretty much they think, well, wow, right now, yeah. essentially. Um, so what we've tried to do is make sure that if you think of the massively multiplayer online part of it, which we actually are doing, um, that you don't immediately pigeonhole it into how it's supposed to be. Because that is one of the things we've had to struggle with from the very beginning is, yes, we're an online game, yes, it's massively multiplayer, no, we're not like that. So the, the goal is to make sure that people have a fresh approach when they look at it, which is why we avoid that term. So, but you're not opposed to borrowing mechanics from it, though? That... If they work in our world, for sure. example. Yeah, okay, like, so we'll turn down some of the, the typical tropes. Let's try uh, uh, leveling up. No. Doesn't work. How about housing? Uh, yes-ish? Yes-ish, okay. Let's uh -huh. talk about uh, crafting. No. Not in that sense. Not in that sense, but there's a different sense for Star Citizen. There is manufacturing, yes. Manufacturing, but not crafting. Right. Okay, so that's one way, you know, if you get the MMO trope where people are expecting a crafting system and it doesn't work that way. Right, so if you change the, the lexicon, as it were, then yes, you can you can help guide their expectations a little bit because that's, it's not that we're trying to take things away from players, it's that we're challenging people to think of it differently. Well, I want to talk about the... Uh, uh, NPCs for a while. That's kind of the hot topic these days, and a lot of people have a lot of questions. I'm not going to go off the deep end. Thank you. <laughs> Let's just talk broad concepts here. Okay. One of the one of the concepts is that if you're logged in, you can do stuff and earn stuff. If you're logged out, you're not in the universe right now, and you right. don't get to have a pirate, you know, uh, army behind you doing stuff while you're logged out. It, it, it sort of surprises me that the people who are so passionate about this game are also interested in not playing it, but playing it still, it kind of confuses me. It's like, why? Why would you? Why would that even be satisfying to people? So if you're going to hire, we're going to hire NPC crew people, but they are there to assist you while you're logged in. Yes. They're going to be, uh, you can delegate maybe certain tasks to them while you're logged in, but that's for that time. Yes, they're with you. With Okay, they're, they are your wingmen. Yes, they are your crew persons. Crew persons. Yeah, okay, that's, a, right. that's a good generic term. So the the idea the question then becomes how much can you delegate? What is stuff that can be delegated versus stuff that you've got to do by yourself with your own with your own fingers on the keyboard or, or HOTUS? So generally what you should think of in in those terms is that they should be there with you. You're not going to send them off to do something. You are not putting together your, your little bots to go play the game even while you're online. They are there to accompany you and assist you. So while they could fly with you in a group or operate as gunner or whatever on a ship, on a multi-crew ship, they're they're there with you. They're a part of your whatever you want to use for the term for a small group, your wing, which is the smallest term we've been using. Okay. Um, but that yes, they're they're accompanying you. They're not independent agents. Now, are they are uh, in the in the design idea so far? Are there going to be maybe specialist NPCs? Are there going to be people that uh, when you hire the guy, he's a better gunner than he's a pilot? That kind of a thing is that the idea? 
that's still kind of up in the air how exactly we're going to represent that, but uh, there there would be you to expect there to be some idea of that. You know, you don't want to hire the the baker to be your gunner, <laughs> but you could. You could. Okay. If yeah, it, you know, I, I suppose you could. Okay, because... Wait, wait, wait. Bakers? Is there going to be an oven on my Constellation? You're putting an oven in it. That's an exclusive, isn't it? Tell me it's an exclusive. Oh, no. The Constellation. Oh, no. <laughs> the, okay, I'm the, fired. There's an oven on the Constellation, guys. <laughs> well, uh... It's the 140 million stretch goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Well, uh, so let's uh, on the on the same uh, token as far as you know, you're you have a small unit, a wing, your your buddies, your 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 tribe, your clan. Let's take that out to the bigger ships. The Idris being the biggest of the ships that are out there so far, um, and it's gotten a lot bigger. It, it has grown a little bit. Grown a little bit, and it, we've taken it from I believe uh, the the temporary number that got thrown out. There's an eleven person crew. The crew numbers are more like a listing of essential personnel. It's not a limitation of how many people fit in the ship. So um, while the crew itself hasn't necessarily mushroomed along with the size of it, I mean, whether or not you want to have somebody down there being your air traffic control landing and, and taking off the ships on the, the Corvette, um, that's kind of up to you. It's not essential personnel. But what we talk about when we talk about the crew numbers is the, the number of man positions that are sort of essential to the ship. Um, but again, everything we publish, well, disclaimers up there, yeah. but people forget that it's there. Yeah. Um, all numbers can change because, you know, development is like that. You, yeah. you have an idea that sounds perfectly reasonable on paper, and then you go and you check it out and play with it, and it's not. So you just change the numbers. Well, and are these are these the sorts of things that we're saving for later? These are these are projects and milestones that maybe let's talk again in October. You know, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Then after after we've been out there dogfighting some things, you're going to start to stabilize a lot as far as the numbers because we'll have a good solid starting base to work from, and that's that's what this dogfighting modules are really all about is. Let's go test it out. And is some of that, you know, just hardware and software interaction? Like, can we get these computers to talk to each other fast enough? How much? What? what how fat is our pipe that we can push some things? Some of it is that. Some of it is just testing the infrastructure that goes along with it. It's like you know, you've got people all around the globe right now who want to play this game. So there, there are a lot of metrics and things that we have to to evaluate as we get these people playing. You know, how much traffic is going back and forth? What is how big of an effect is latency having on people? That kind of thing. So sure, there's there's all of that, the infrastructure, but also it's does this number this number is thirty that we've put in here arbitrarily in our balancing sheet. If we put thirty in there and then you go out and fly it and it takes too long to kill somebody or it's too quick, that thirty is wrong. You know, it does we need to be able to see the numbers in action while we have what we feel is a reasonable balance going on in our systems. That's reasonable is only, well, fails in the first encounter with the enemy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Your plan lasts uh, five yeah. seconds beyond first encounter. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and, that, and that number 30. Let's let's talk about 30 for a minute. Because that's, you know, that, that I just 30. completely made up. 30 is a great number to talk about. Let's talk about 30. So that 30 is uh, how much damage your laser does, let's just say. Just for, for instance. For exactly. There's an example. For instance. So call okay. it that. Which is, uh, there's a number 30. Now, nobody knows these numbers yet because we haven't published those numbers yet. Right, but we'll start with 30. So the th I, I go pew, and then I go pew pew, and that's 30 and 30 30, right? Right. And then it hits a shield. Mm -hmm. And that shield is 97. Yeah, sure. Call okay. it that. 
And that those numbers are going to be what you start with on the Hornet size stuff, mm -hmm. and then you scale it up to the big ships, and you scale it down to the Auroras. Absolutely. And then and that has to all work throughout yeah. the entire universe. Yeah. And that's one reason why you can't tell me if I can slide my helmsman over to my security officer slot and move over. No, that's that's <laughs> entirely different. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how that even relates. No, the numbers. Oh, we, it's very clear how it relates, sir. We have enormous spreadsheets full of these numbers that everyone would really love to see. Um, Absolutely, do that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> all these these sheets have. As we see it at this time, a reasonably balanced, a reasonable balance, and a range of things that make sense to us. But everything is set up in such a way that all of it is formulaic. So you go in there and you tweak one number here, and everything rebalances. Um, so when we start looking at things in action, we can say, "Oh, this range isn't quite wide enough," or "This range is too wide," or "The shields relative to the guns." Well, we thought that was right, but now we actually have to bring the shields closer to the guns, or the guns, you know, farther away from the shield, whichever. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the number side of it is really just a matter of seeing it in action, right? And and, and even that informs questions like, well, if you have a good NPC and that boosts up your laser number to thirty-five, you know, that might. You know it. Oh no 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 NPC is not going to make the numbers better. Ah, because that's another MMO thing that we're abandoning that Yeah, no, NPCs don't cheat that way. They just, they use the same numbers you do. Okay. They may be better or worse than you are as far as, you know, it being a skill-based game, our AI does can exhibit a pretty broad range of behavior as far as skill. Probably another sheet. There are a whole lot of other sheets, yes. Yes, there are a number of sheets involved in all of this. The Excel is, is part of our world. Yes, yeah, so a big um, part. Yeah, well, let's, yeah. talk, let's talk about the AI for a second. You guys had a big announcement pretty recently about Kathera. Mm -hmm. Am I saying that right? Uh, it depends. Yeah, okay, okay, good, all right. I, I'll, I'll leave my yeah, Scottish accent. Kythera, I've heard it, Kythera. I, I think they're moving to, I think they're trying to change it to Kythera. Um, so if Kythera uh, is is going to be an integral part of your game, you're coming, you're adopting something kind of wholesale. But at the same time, they're working with you to meet your needs. Yeah, we're more than adopting it. We're sort of we're raising it. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean that they they had an idea that this is what they wanted to do, and they had made some progress towards this this AI thing. But essentially, we came along and said. Yeah, that's a great idea. And here's how we want you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and and later on, you can turn around and sell it and license it to other people. Yeah, they, that's, entire... that's, that's the agreement yeah. we have with them, is that they will be able to use this as a standalone tool. Um, and I don't think I'm supposed to talk about contracts or anything like that. But anyway, so no, yeah. No, but, but the idea is that in a, broad, in a broad stroke, you guys are sort of incubating, raising this company. And then yeah. they're going to go help other people Absolutely. make games. And it's been very, very, very interactive. We we spend a lot of time with these guys. They, you know, they bring their ideas to the table. We bring our ideas to the table. We balance things back and forth. And I think that we've got what we're getting to now is is, is a really robust system. So I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. See the the the, the, the hand thing of the giddy school boy. That's a, see that's what you're looking for. It's effective. It's, it's effective. <laughs> Well, if 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 you had, and I was gonna, you know, usually the question is, if you had your your best wishes and your fondest wishes about the system, but you're getting a lot of your fondest wishes. I mean, it sounds like they're you guys are working together to build something you both like. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that sort of describes everything we're doing with this game in the sense that we're everything to the nth degree better. You know, whether it be the economy, 
or the AI or any, any of it. It's all, well, imagine the best you've seen it done. That's what we're aiming for. So it's, it's ambitious, but it's pretty cool. We get a lot of what we want. Well, and, and is it because you guys are willing to take chances on it that a lot of people are, aren't sure. willing to take those chances? Absolutely. Well, and, and because, you know, we're working for Chris Roberts, who goes big. You know, he's, he doesn't make little games. It's not his thing. Are you, are, are you guys uh, still in the dreaming stage, or do you have most of this thing roadmapped out? Are you still looking for things that are out there that need to be filled in, gaps to fill, or you guys have a punch? There are occasional gaps here and there, but we have we have a pretty strong roadmap of where, where we're going with this. So, again, you know, if, if you could just take a projector and shine it through Chris Roberts' head in our little wall, <laughs> then we just we would have the roadmap. Right. Just, oh, boom, there yeah. it is. Uh -huh. But, you know, sometimes we have to extract some of those details. So. Ah, there, there is process to that. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, I know you're a busy guy, so I, I could I could chew you off for hours, but I won't do it. I appreciate you taking the time. Hey, no problem. All right. Thanks, Rob. No I appreciate you taking the time. Hey, no problem. All right. Thanks, Rob. Okay, buddy. What's on your mind? We're all friendlies, so let's just be friendly. We got lots of new friends and great feedback this week from our post on the Robert Space Industry forums with the Wingman interview. That was a great surprise to us, and we're so happy to have you here. Sorry we can't read all the feedback on the air, but we want to welcome everybody to the Guard Frequency community. And from our show post over at GuardFrequency.com, Cookie Cupcake says, Haha, the accolade rant was hilarious. Also, absolutely love the theme music. Makes me want to sneak around and aggressively guard some frequencies. By God, that's exactly what we were going for. Cookie is the new host over on Priority One, one of the two new hosts over on Priority One, so we want to welcome her to the Priority One Productions family. And thanks for the feedback. Sean Newboy writes in and says, Love the show, everyone. Great job. Thanks. Slane sent us. Wasn't expecting much from the randomly found SC podcast, but I've been very surprised. Give a like on Facebook and looking forward to the next episode. Smiley face. Well, smiley face back uh -huh. at ya. And we're not some randomly found Star Citizen podcast. We're the universe's premier Star Citizen podcast. Isn't that what we say? That is our tagline. Show description. Yes. Yep, that's what I thought. Oh, by the way, congrats to Anarian. He has won the second to last Void Destroyer Steam Early Access Code. And if you want to win the final one that we have to give away, thanks to Iteration 11, the indie game company developing Void Destroyer, just leave us a post on episode 15's thread on the RSI forum before 7 p.m. Central, Saturday, March 29th. And thanks to Daylight Savings Time, that's 12 a.m. Sunday, March 30th, GMT. And via the Robert Space Industry Forums, Blue writes, Just saw and heard my first broadcast, episode 14, and was very impressed. Put guard frequency on my favorites and added your feed as well. Well done, guys. I will be listening to you regularly in the future. By the way, my first pledge was the freelancer package. So hello to the Brit. We Americans hey are usually... <laughs> We Americans are usually late, as you know, but we sure do one hell of a follow-up. Keep up the good work. Hello, yes, fellow freelancer owner. You just made the right decision. There's no right or wrong, but you made the right decision. Hmm. <laughs> Have you got something to say on that, Tony? No, just, hmm. 
So Nexus sends in a welcome to Blue and says, Great show this week. Can't wait to hear the rest of the CIG interviews. As for the community question, I'm not going to go out of my way to get in the Observer's Guide, but I am hoping we can comment and participate in some ways in the entries. And a question for the group. Do you think there's a chance to have a channel like Guard Frequency in-game and that it can be another job opportunity for our tunes? Think of it as a live in-game help desk slash moderator. As always, thanks for the show and can't wait for the next one. P.S. Thank you for the early access code for Void Destroyer. Can't wait to try it out. Oh yeah. Chris has said there's going to be a guard frequency-ish kind of channel in the game. Distress signal, whatever. And yeah, it'll be there. And I think that we'll have a feature like you're suggesting out there. Because I think that that's one of the things that our fleet is going to do, our little squadron. I mean, whether in-game or out of game, whether it's somebody in trouble from a bunch of pirates or I can't find my launch missile button. We want to be in-universe help and in-game help. Kin Shadow took a moment away from hunting down Lagante to say, Just found your podcast as well. Count me as impressed by the production and quality of discussion. Keep up the good work. Well, probably a flash in the pan, but we'll we'll try. <laughs> he goes on to say, On the whole reporting thing, I think it sounds awesome in concept, but I'm a bit reserved in judgment based on what exactly the reporting will be. Will they really be interesting enough to read, or will it be achievements in disguise where the only person who cares is you? Yeah, that could be a problem. But I think, like everything else in the RSI universe, it'll be moderated and edited. Chris Roberts' ideal, I think, is to be an editor or a curator eventually. So you might submit things to be featured in Galactopedia, but there will be somebody there going, just don't care about your 15th cargo run to Magnus. Not a, not a thing. Not a thing that makes the news. Sorry. Coming to us from Facebook, Mike fully responds to trying to get into the Omnipedia limelight or living in the shadows. Live in one while hoping to achieve something worth noting. Hmm, live in the shadow and then try to get out of the shadow at an opportune time. And coming to us from Twitter, Ranger XML brags to Tony about getting VIP access to PAX East, and Tony gets a taste of what everyone else felt when he went to CRG Austin, in the words of the immortal sage Nelson Muntz. Ha <laughs> ha! And from our email, squawk at cardfrequency.com, Gary wrote in and said, Found a forum link today and went to your podcast. This is pretty impressive, I must say. I'm a contributor to the Pulse magazine and listen to the music slash show on the quotes base org website. However, your show is so good and professional that I subscribe to the feed today as well. Well done, guys. And as Fraser says, I'm listening. <laughs> well, welcome aboard. Glad you're here. We should look into getting syndicated by the base. Hey, yeah. that's an idea. We could send them our show and then have them replay it like on Wednesdays after the feed goes out. Well, our, we friend, should do that. our friend Gary here probably knows the people to get in touch with. I bet he does. I we bet should he get does. in touch with him. Mm-hmm. They get in touch with him. Or, you know, Gary, call the base guy. Because Gary knows us and Gary knows the base. And so, Gary, if you're listening, that's your job. Go do that, Gary. Hook us up, brother. Via the contact form on our website, Slane also writes in a letter of epic proportions that we're not going to read all of on air, but suffice to say that our egos were sufficiently inflated after reading the opening paragraphs, and he wins the Shivery Bean Award for contacting us on multiple channels. Then he goes on to ask, I'm confused about in-game speed. Chris has said that there will be a max speed for dogfighting, and I imagine we can all see the reasons for that, but I was thinking that some of the ships have a selling point of being fast or powerful. So does this mean that the 350R is faster than the Aurora outside of a PvP-PvE scenario, maybe? I can only assume it's a detail yet to be worked out. I agree on that one as well. I'd imagine, though, because they have different classes of engines and maneuvering thrusters, that some of them are still going to be slightly faster when it actually gets worked out, because obviously some have got 
got more thrusters, more speed and maneuverability versus weaponry. So the ships that have the more weapons are going to be at an advantage in a dogfight if they are yeah. pegged at the same speed. Um, I don't know what you guys think about this. I think that it's probably mostly related to just the dogfighting module as a test so that they don't break anything and just see it. I'm not sure that this will be the actual PvP contest or PvE contest. Otherwise, why would I buy a fast ship? Well, I think it's going to be a combination of factors. Number one, I think the larger ships with the higher top-rated speed are also going to be able to get to that top-rated speed faster. So acceleration is going to be a big part of it. But I also think it's going to come down to your various subsystems because the real reason, the in-game reason that we're getting for the top speed limit is maneuverability. The airframe's ability to handle a tight turn and the human body's ability to absorb punishment. I imagine there's going to be some in-fiction fooling around with gravity. Like, there'll be artificial gravity on ships, so I'm sure there's going to be some turn assistance that faster ships will get because of their larger thrusters. So they'll have some additional safety built in there, so you'll be able to turn as tight as a ship with smaller thrusters but at a higher speed. So I think there's going to be a lot of playing around with the vector change abilities of the ships that are faster, have a higher top speed, that will balance out the real Newtonian physics need for every ship to be able to accelerate to infinity. Theoretically, if you take your safeties off, there's going to be some balance in there. So, do we deserve a ruffle of the hair? A gold star for effort? Let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Why not leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com? You can also subscribe to us, feeds.guardfrequency.com, and you can just find us on iTunes. Or you could hit us up on Twitter at guardfreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com, S-Q-U-A-W-K at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. Be sure to post up on the Robert Space Industry site forum post for this show and enter to win our very last copy of Void Destroyer. And that brings us to the end of episode 15 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 16 on the 1st of April with more of our visits to CRG Austin and possibly something completely different. Be sure to keep an eye out for our episodes over at GuardFrequency.com or our post over on the Robert Space Industries Fan Science Forum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down in the feedback loop, you can hit the contact form at the top of our website. All the details for all of our contact methods will be in the show notes. Do you like what we do? you want to come join our team? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K. We're always on the lookout for talented individuals, so no matter what you're into, we want to hear from you. And if you're just looking for a friendly wingman or two, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com slash orgs slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything on a Saturday night, why don't you join us? You can listen to us live on guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We want to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions, including our community manager, Chivalry Bean, and our artist, Simon Trollton Edwards. Special thanks to Rob Irving and John Erskine from CIG Austin for their time interviewing with me. And thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. And we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Return to 
then we'll bring you the next installment of our this week we're what is wrong with you man every comma every every comma it's like a speed bump for me as this show isn't just a one-way discussion we asked you what ships you would like i need to learn to read it would be helpful in a podcast it would be very good it would it would other magic of post-production Hmm. <laughs> Have you got something to say on that, Tony? No, just hmm. Okay, can you, can you do it a bit louder just to get it on the broadcast? Yeah. Hmm. Can nothing, you do it? Just, a, nothing except a, a, except, a, little, a little less hmm. aggressively. Hmm. There we go. That one go. That's it. <laughs> Yoda, where have you been? Uh, <laughs> well, going from what we said earlier. I have. And read that one more time. Hang on, read, read that one more time. Then in silence. Group hug. Group hug. Group hug. I feel better. I feel better already. What happened to the sound effects? I feel for the. Oh, there's going to be legit. Sorry. That was good. That was good. You missed your calling as a beatboxer. I did. British beatboxer, though. British beatboxer. Yeah, you're you're a Euro you're a Euro beatboxer. Exactly. Totally I can Euro beatbox beat. in metric time. <laughs> ten beats per bar. Ten, ten, ten. bars per song. A <laughs> hundred songs per album. <laughs> exactly. User entered the channel. Been... Oh, who's that? God, who has entered the channel? We're in the recording booth. You know it's car frequency time. Uh, well, Go away, first, of all, you'll first of all. Me. You'll forgive me because I have TeamSpeak set to just bring me right into the recording booth. Okay, I will, but you must know that anything you say is going live over the internet. Yep. We are we are broadcasting live. We are broadcasting live. So be oh, careful. You're not, and you're not listening, so whoops. be careful. Caution. Whoops. Caution is called for at say, this time. Say hello to the live stream, Elijah. Hello, live stream. How how is <laughs> just got, Elijah, OMG. <laughs> <laughs> Who, what, what, uh, what chat? Where's the chat? Uh, Godfrequency.com slash live. What is this website? I've never heard of such a website. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's a it's good a show. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. yeah, oh, guess what, Elijah? You just made the blooper reel. I did, didn't I? Yep. yep. <laughs> By the way, um, I, I do not like you, Brits. I just absolutely do not like you, Brits. Oh, you he's, he's got now a Sherlock problem. He's got now a Sherlock that I'm here, problem. I have a Sherlock problem. Okay. <laughs> number, number one. Someone's just watched season three. No, 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 no. no season no. two. I've, I've just watched got... season two. I just oh, watched season, season two. two. Because that's all that's on Netflix. But, first of all, Sherlock comes out every two years? Uh, roughly. What the heck kind of crap is that? What what world do you people live in over there? So that's number one. Number two, I mean, that the cl- cliffhangers, I mean, whole, first of all, they didn't even finish explaining the, the, the finale of season one. But you know what? I'm tired. I don't want to take your stream for this, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna mosey on up to... Uh, okay. Uh, in the best British you. style, Elijah, just write me a strongly worded email. I'll forward <laughs> it to the BBC. <laughs> I'm going to take a... I'm going to take a... Ship across the sea. I'm going to knock on BBC's door and say, "How dare you!" User left your channel. So where were we? 